0: Hey, everyone. Before we get into today's interview, just wanted to drop a little reminder to stay up to date with all the latest episodes of On The Margin. You can subscribe to the Blockworks Macro YouTube. Just go up there, just click the little uh, subscribe button, or you can click the links at the top of this episode. It'll take you over to Apple, Spotify, whatever your preferred platform is. Just subscribe there. If you could, leave a rating interview. Really appreciate it. All right, on with the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another weekly roundup edition. Today, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, the patient, Mr. Marcel. Ah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> patient! Had some tech problems this morning.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I don't use this word very often, but but I hate Microsoft with a seething passion. I mean, I hate them. I have been locked out of my computer for a week. I've tried multiple tech people. It it. It's uh, and it's because they don't want me to use an Apple product. It's like that's not your choice. And it's it's unbelievable. It's absolutely anyway. So, the ecosystem
0: lock in baby. It's a powerful thing. I found thing. a
1: work around ecosystem lock in uh, just crazy. Anyway, quick reveal. So, I got the green candle pants on today, not the orange, and I went way old school with the original yellow Bitcoin. These are like my original Bitcoin sock game from kind of 2013 or 14. I can't remember which year I got them. But uh, we're going way old school. Big green candle this morning. Uh, I think lots of green candles incoming. Um, January 8th, the King's birthday is the day. That's that's the day of the approval that's going to happen. And uh, you heard it here first. So... Starting off with a bang here, Mark. I yeah, like it. Yeah, baby. I like Man, it. I missed it. We didn't do this last week because you know, I know. We were suffering from tryptophan coma. And uh, you know, I I
0: I I don't know. I, I we gotta cram two weeks into one week this morning. So we gotta we gotta get going. All right, I've got a quick London fact for you before we dive into the the yeah. back. You know what? I'm gonna reverse the order here and actually start with some Bitcoin stuff because I wanted to get your take on this. So uh London fact for you. So uh, London was founded back in uh, 54 A.D. Uh, Londinium was the name, and back back then, uh, just as a little history factory, this was uh, one of the provinces of of the Roman Empire. So Rome mm-hmm. had these these provinces where you know some of the wealthy patricians looking to make a name and frankly a lot of wealth for themselves. They would go out, they would leave the city, they would run these military campaigns and be a governor of uh you know different regions. So Caesar famously did Gaul and Cisalpine Gaul, and and London was one of these and. They went back, um, one of my favorite facts about this is they went back and they found some barracks uh, from like really ancient times back in, in London and they found some inscriptions that, you know, the soldiers who were fighting would kind of carve in. Yeah. You, know, they, you know, what was on there, Mark? Uh, get off zero? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your mom jokes. <laughs> they found that from like 2,000 wow. years ago. Your mom jokes. and Wow. I, you know, you can interpret that in one of two ways. I tend to, that just makes me smile because it just, I'm not condoning uh, your mama joke or not. Which is like it People, so don't, change, you know? people, people don't change. People, humans
1: are going to be human. And there is nothing new in this world. I talk about this all the time, right? There's this guy, I think his name's something Maxwell, but he's written all these, you know, management kind of books. They're just quotes from Seneca and uh, Socrates. It, it's just, there's just nothing new in this world. And to your point, no. it's, you know, 2,000 years ago, people were doing the same, you know, poking fun at their friends or making fun of their, you know, friend's mom or whatever. It's 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 um
0: it's just the way it
1: is. Humans are going to
0: human. It is. Humans are going to human is really great. So there's your London fact for you. London's been established for a long time. New speakers, we got signed up. Uh, Marshall Waste, a uh, big hedge fund over in London. KKR signed up. Um and oh shoot I'm blanking on one other one uh, I feel, feel like we already announced this but BlackRock uh, sending a speaker as well so great speaker lining up come join Mark Look, and I. Paul,
1: Paul Marshall and Ian Wace are are two of of the coolest guys there's a lot of people at that organization now but uh, I always forget I, that you just know story. everyone but no they, well it's just because I'm old it's just because I'm old but but Paul Marshall and, and Ian Wace were were one of the very original. London hedge funds, and I'll never forget this. It's so fun. Um, so the way I used to do it when I was, you know, young and and uh, uh, just getting started in the business, both at Notre Dame and and then at UNC, is I would take these trips and I would go to a city and I would book eight, nine, ten meetings a day and. And people say, that's impossible. I'm like, well, I would have breakfast and then I'd go to multiple meetings and then I'd have lunch and then I'd do a bunch of meetings and then I'd go to dinner and I'd have a drink. So, yeah, I, I would meet a lot of people and I do, you know, 40 plus meetings in a week. And in those meetings, one of the things I would always say is, Hey, is, is there anybody else that I missed? Or, um, and I was talking to this one big hedge fund, uh, kind of the, one of the precursors to Brevin Howard actually. And, uh, long story short, they were, <laughs> cause they had done well already. They were one of the partial owners of the Chelsea football club. And he says, well, you know, I was in the box the, the other week and, and I met this, this young guy who's, who's spinning out. And I, and I think they're, they're getting ready to just start up. And, uh, like, great. Can I meet him? He's like, well, let's find out. Let me ring him. And so he rings, you know, cause they say, let's ring them up. It's not, you know, let's, let's call them. Let's ring them up. And, uh, so he rings him up. He says, um, well, I don't know if our office is actually open, but yeah, we were going to go check on it and see. And so have him come by. So I went by after lunch and I met these two young guys and the office full of boxes. Like, come on in. And we, and we literally sat on boxes and, and had our first meeting with, uh, uh, Marshall Wace and, and they crushed it for a couple decades and now they're big family office and, and, uh, cool guys. Really, really good guys.
0: All right, everyone. We will be back to the program in just a moment. But before we do. I wanted to give you the inside scoop about something that we've been cooking up at BlockWorks these last couple of months. So in March of this coming year, in London, BlockWorks is going to be gathering 1,200 of the world's largest asset managers, so that's fund managers and allocators, financial institutions, so think big banks, payment providers, et cetera, and professional traders at the largest institutionally focused conference in digital assets, DAS London. Now, it's very rare that you get the likes of JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Point 0.72, the large HFTs, the family offices, all in one room at the same time. So if you want to know what the big money is doing in digital assets these days, this is the conference for you. To give you an early sneak peek at some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about, One, the intersection of macro and digital assets. And where are we in the market cycle? We're going to be talking about real world assets. So that's stable coins, on-chain treasuries, all that fun stuff. And we're going to be talking about things from the allocator perspective. So what are the big money managers in crypto doing these days? And because you are such a good listener of On The Margin, I'm giving you an extra code, Margin20. So click the link at the bottom of this episode. Again, use code Margin20. And I will see you in sunny London town in March. Yeah, London is just... it. You know, maybe it's just because I'm a history nerd, but I it feels like when you walk walk around there, it just feels very rich. I guess rich is maybe oh no, well, it's,
1: they- it's, it's, it's it's such a great adjective. It feels very rich and rich, not just in wealth, but rich in culture, in history, culture and history in, yeah, in, in opulence, in informality, formality, and and it just it I I I love it. I feel like I'm transporting back. I just can't do the British
0: accent. If I could have, if I could have a British accent, my IQ points would would go up so much. Me too. I, I told you, one of my one of my best friends, you know, he was my my roommate, um, and he, yeah, uh, he, I always I always like to remind him, like, you're playing tennis with a net down, buddy. He's also I know it's just not fair. Tennis and, yeah, tennis with a net down. So, um, all right, let's uh, let's get into stories here. I want to I want to I wanna, uh, ask you actually about so you've got your your green green pants and socks on here talking about this Bitcoin candle. For those of you who aren't following along. Quite as well, I actually just want to show like this this Bitcoin price action for the last uh I was actually looking at this I was just zooming out and looking at this over here you know, We can actually look at it across multiple different time horizons here, yep. but you really can't look at this chart at any given time over the last year and have it not just look extremely good so yeah exactly yeah you know there's there's just no way that you can that there's just no way that you can slice it so this is the you know kind of the seven day, the two week the 30 day 90 day 180 1 year i mean no it's, a, it's
1: it's it's a thing of absolute beauty so we're up we're up 12% in the past 30 days uh so it wasn't moonvember you know cuz it was October, you know up 29% but we have you know 12% in in november so happy december by the way and um and then over the last year, we're up one hundred and twenty three percent, and this chart is just so beautiful, in that you have uh, you have volatility, which you know we always do. and you even have a long period, almost six months of, of no movement, but but you you have higher highs and higher lows, a series of higher highs and higher lows. that is accumulation. Writ large. This is one of the great accumulation chart patterns that you will see. And if you go back to that uh, one month chart, I think it is. Yeah, here. Yeah. That is is an absolute thing of beauty. And think about it. in this month. I tweeted about this the other day. In this month, okay, we had a U.S. government agency, who shall remain nameless, levy the largest fine against the largest crypto exchange in the world, of which it's questionable whether they had any jurisdiction over, but they still did it. Forced the CEO to step down from his role. And this chart says, I, I don't care. I I just don't care. And, uh, you know, maybe I need a new hashtag. Bitcoin doesn't care. It It is in a massive accumulation. Uh, and I said, January 8th, King's birthday. Um, it's that's the day I, I believe the approval is going to happen. And the party is going to get, I mean, we're going to have so much fun in London in March because we are going to be celebrating. I'm going to have to get two pairs of green pants. I'm going to get you a pair of green pants. We're going to have to walk around
0: together. If you as- give me, I'll wear a pair of green pants. I'll do that. No. I'll match. Uh, people will call us the leprechaun brothers. Here, I've yeah. got, so let me add a little bit of, all right, so there's a lot to unpack there. So for folks who, this was, I'm glad you brought this up because this happened a week ago, but we we weren't, uh, you know, we didn't do our show last week. So CZ, the founder and up until very recently, chief executive officer of Binance, had a $4.3 billion fine levied uh, at Binance. CZ has to step down. Um, this was And this came, by the way, from the, the Department of Justice. And the person who announced it, there was a smorgasbord of who's who You know, Janet Yellen, actually, the Secretary of Treasury, was the one who announced it. Notably missing was the SEC, uh, by the way. Uh, But it was a it was a who's who of um, you know U.S. regulatory agencies. Uh, CZ also had a fifty million dollar personal fine from the CFTC that he's going to have to pay. Uh, He has to he does not have to relinquish control of his shares, and after three years, he can operate finance again. He may or may not. He may be still facing up to eighteen months of jail time. It's the the way that the plea works, it's kind of funny. It's like he can't appeal anything below 18 months or below in terms of jail time, uh, but anything higher, and he can't appeal based on the deal that he struck. And uh he's I I believe he's actually in the US right now. He he was at in Seattle for uh for a court arraignment. And um there's 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 two ways to interpret this. And actually it's been a bit of an interesting Rorschach test. Because if you look at the mainstream headlines, and Jason was telling me. You know, he got some inbounds from family being like, oh, this is horrible for crypto, another big blow, the other big exchange member. But I, you know, trying not to be unbiased here, I can't see any way that this feels like very positive news for the market. Because (laughs) I think the one bear case that was sort of hanging over us here was the threat of Binance. Clearly, U.S. regulators weren't comfortable for it. It probably was the largest single obstacle standing in the way of a Bitcoin spot ETF. Now, seemingly, that's been neutralized. And ironically, Binance now might be one of the safest places to trade crypto because they're going to have to, you know, get cavity searched on a regular basis by the Department of Justice. So, I'm, doesn't it feel like a huge worry was just
1: removed? We've talked about this. The first they ignore you then they laugh at you. It's like a bunch of nerds, geeks, play, play with your magic internet money, whatever. Then it became a threat. And they're like, right, we'll kill it. We're going to kill it. And... They've tried, right? Multiple times. They've tilted at the windmill, and the windmill just smacked them down, like literally smacked them down. Like, all right, we can't kill it. All right, you know what? We're going to take control of it. And here's what you do: you you go after the highest profile. <coughs> Stevie Cohen <coughs> comes to mind in in the hedge fund space, and two billion dollars. I mean, I mean, it it just three year ban. I mean, just. I've heard the story before and you get a a key figure to step aside so you can put your man or woman in the seat and then you have control and he can't beat him, join him. That that's what's going on here. This is like a, a hostile takeover. And it's not like a full takeover. It's not like, you know, Gary's gonna sit in the chair and, and and pull the strings, but um this is absolutely a all right, you're too big to kill, but we don't like you. And and we want you to play by our rules. And you want we want you to pay for our budget for the next couple of years. So that's what they're doing. And some would call it extortion or bribery, others would call it, you know, cost of doing business. Uh, it's kind of like J.P. Morgan in jolly old England. Um, They have a subsidiary that basically spoofs the price of gold all day long, every day. And they make ish $20 billion a year. And every once in a while, they get a fine of a billion dollars. You can go back and read this in, in the newspaper, right? No one reads newspapers, but online, you could find it. And... When when they asked the guy, you know, are you gonna keep doing this? Or
0: he's like, Are you joking? It's the cost of doing business, five percent, of course. Yeah, it's I think what so I obviously don't really follow many enforcement cases. Uh I, I do more closely in crypto. I think at least I'll just speak for myself. I thought it was a little funny. It just rubbed me in sort of a weird way, whereas a criminal case, but you could settle it with money, which is just a bizarre. <laughs> Which is just a really bizarre idea. It is totally bizarre. And what's,
1: what's even more bizarre, Michael, this this is a great insight. It's amazing insight. So on the Stevie Cohen case, it was more civil, I believe, not criminal. And you could settle it without admitting guilt. You got to say, I am not admitting guilt, but I'm paying $2.1 million uh, or $2.2 million, $2 billion, billion, billion and i find this crazy that you can have a criminal like like literally criminal i and but but it may work that way for rich people maybe it's not maybe the average person just
0: doesn't understand that that is the way it works humans are just funny i, I want to connect this though to actually some numbers and data uh because one of the things that I think is being undercovered right now or not discussed about as much is the institutional bid that's returning to crypto here. And uh, you know, if I if I said Mark, you know, a couple a couple months ago, what's the what's the largest, you know, uh futures exchange in for Bitcoin and ETH, it'd be really easy. You'd say Binance. Now today, it I actually checked today it is actually Binance, but for the last couple of weeks, CME has actually flipped Binance exactly. in Yep. Open interest, which is huge. There's a there's a great thread uh, by Josh Lim here, who's actually um, he's ex Genesis, but really really sharp guy. Um, and he he pointed out actually a lot of the stuff that I've been following, which is well, one, he's got a much more intricate understanding of uh, you know options and what it is to roll and stuff like that. But he you know he's pointing out this um, the amount of uh, people are paying on the CME an enormous amount, you know, 23% annual to roll their positions uh, between the November to December, which is nuts, which tells, you know, safe to say CME is a very institutional venue. So if you see volumes picking up there, that's most likely institutions that are doing it. If they're paying that much, what it tells you is like, that's not a long-term position. They're just trying to probably trade the the Bitcoin ETF thing, but that's, that's an institutional bid. I think the other thing to, to point out is some of the Bitcoin proxies the the exposure that you might get in public markets to bitcoin things like coinbase and microstrategy yeah. and bitcoin miners have been pumping and just to remind folks like there these um these assets actually tend to perform even better than than bitcoin or it's not better there's just more beta there's sort of this this hidden hidden embedded uh premium there because it's it's seen as a way to get exposure to, to Bitcoin and crypto without actually having to go through any of the infrastructure or regulatory hurdles. So people, it's like, oh, well, if I think crypto is going to go up, I'm just going to buy Coinbase MicroStrategy. That's the idea. And, you know, Bic, both of those have been absolutely uh, pumping um, as well. So, yeah, I mean, even now, I mean, this chart comes from a couple of days ago and I think Coinbase is at, uh, you know, kiss 130 uh, the other day. So it, it's up. Well, in I think like 250% year to date
1: and um, micro strategies up closing in on 200% off the bottom. And to your point, what, what people I think miss sometimes is just the amount of money out there that is in these little boxes, these rule boxes. And there's, Thirty trillion by Eric balconius's uh, I think I'm saying his last name right when, yeah bal yeah and um, you know thirty trillion it's a big number uh, that can't at this point buy Bitcoin directly right but they can in many cases not all um, buy things like you know uh, microstrategy or or coinbase because they're listed companies. Uh, as opposed to, you know, they they like, you know, UBS won't let me buy GBTC, whatever. But when this ETF happens, that's going to be a dicey, dicey period because then it's like, well, I don't have to buy MicroStrategy, which is a questionable software business tacked on to a big honeypot of of Bitcoin. And I don't have to pay a, a premium. Anymore for for Coinbase, and I, I think Coinbase will do well because they're gonna their business is gonna skyrocket, right? Because they're gonna do custody for for these ETFs, and they're gonna you know get ancillary benefit. And when the institutions really come, because yes, there's an institutional bid, but it's with this many people. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm I'm not and I actually have numbers to back it up because I'm still smiling and dialing. And trying to get people to meet it's crazy how many people in the institutional world are still stuck on zero literally zero it's 80 plus percent of institutions now it's funny in the surveys I think like 74 percent said oh we have exposure like wow kind of kind of and what they're saying is well we gave some money to this venture capitalist and we think right. they have some exposure somewhere. But, yeah, okay, fine. But that's not you making a decision to buy a digital asset for all the right reasons, right? The reason to own digital assets is very simple. Let's just talk Bitcoin and we can go to the others, but Bitcoin is 0.0 correlated to bonds. And 0.15 correlated to stocks. Those are the two lowest correlations of any meaningful asset class, like high yield bonds, uh, hedge funds, private equity, international stocks. If you take anything with, you know, kind of half a trillion dollars and up of, of value, you could find small things like, you know, stamps or coins that have even lower correlation, but but for a meaningful asset class, this is the, the least correlated of all of them. And so when you add it to a Markowitz framework, meaning, you know, when you take cash, riskiest asset you could ever own because you lose to inflation and you add bonds, which have more volatility, risk goes down. In fact, this, this is actually an interesting story. So I, I did a guest lecture for a, a buddy over at Duke. He teaches a a class on risk management at Duke. And I came in, (laughs) a couple of things that were interesting, not exaggerating, 90% of the class was from Asia. And so the Duke population, and maybe it's skewed. So the Duke population is probably a little bit diverse, but then there's the engineering school, which is a little less diverse. And then the people who are interested in risk management, I mean, it was, we're talking some some serious brain matter in in that room, and that's not saying that's not a racist statement that all Asians are bright. But these were really smart kids, and um, I asked, "So, so what is risk?" First kid, and and hands like you know they're up, and um, volatility. Like, oh, I I know that's what the te- textbook says that that is, that is risk. And Dr. Markowitz used volatility in his famous capital asset pricing model, but, um, that's not risk, right? Risk is, you know, you're leveraged. Well, it, it can again, it, it can be risk. It can be risky, but, but, and, and definitely if, if you have leverage that, um, any amount of volatility can, can be lethal, right? If you're 99% leverage, 1% volatility can be lethal. But, but the point was that downside volatility is a better measure than, than total volatility because why would you penalize something that has positive variance from a mean? And actually Dr. Markowitz said that I would have used semi-variance, but the math would have been too hard and I wouldn't have got the Nobel prize actually, I think I've told the story before. I got to have dinner with him once and I said, Dr. Marco, is that true? He said, of course it's true. That was a million dollar prize. I wanted the prize. So yeah, I'm not going to, you know, not get the the award because I, I, you know, I'm pure. I'm going to use the the thing that everyone understands. So, uh, but really it's, it's total loss of capital, right? When you can't get your, to your point with, if you're leveraged and you're forced to sell and you obliterate your equity and that's gone forever, you can't earn it back. Like if, if a stock goes down and you hold it and it comes back, that's not loss. I mean, Amazon went down 94% in 2001 and, you know, it's much higher today. If you held it, most people didn't hold it because humans are going to human. They sell what they're about to need. But anyway, so I just thought it was interesting how people are still stuck on this idea of volatility and volatility is your friend. And so what you want are assets like Amazon like Apple, like Microsoft, not Microsoft, I hate Microsoft, um, that have this high volatility, but they have long-term accretion to your portfolio. But the reason you need Bitcoin in your portfolio and all the institutions, every single one of them is going to have it. This is the crazy thing. Every single one of them will, and I've been saying this for years, right? Get off zero. Um, I've been saying since 2006, I'm sorry, 2017. And all that means is, and I said 10 years, and now we're, you know, six years in. So it's only four more years from now. You will be deemed fiduciarily irresponsible if you have zero. I'm not saying you have to have 10
0: or 20 or 30, but zero is the wrong number. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but BlockWorks Research is the most blue chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin10 for a 10% discount and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code Margin10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. And so- all right. So I, I agree with a lot. I obviously agree with the get off zero. I mean, you're talking to, and by the way, none of this is financial advice. And I will say just to put my own hand up because now I'm, I'm risking editorializing with my own opinion here, but, uh, and I was very wrong at different points. If you go back to like 2021, very wrong on the the timing and where we were in the regime sure. all that stuff. Sure. So don't take, you know, take all this with a huge heaping grain of salt. But I, I, I do think, obviously I have turned, somewhat constructive on this market and I'm getting more excited about uh, it going up than I've gotten a, and felt in a little while. Um, and I, I do think on the, I don't know, I've I've started to just think it's kind of like that conversation that we had a little while ago about, you know, I was talking to this guy in one of my really early formative uh, sort of experiences at Blockworks. And, you know, I was trying to say, well, you know, okay, many of these, you know, these little like ICO, uh, you know, s coins or whatever going, going to zero but there will still be these successful ones like amazon right amazon has dropped down 90 percent three times or whatever yep. in its existence and he's like well we'll see about amazon so I, and that that you know that experience cemented yeah. to me that there will be some people that this could rip in their face for 20 years and they wouldn't change their mind and actually this is the this is the you know people the who are supporters of gold Bemoan the same thing, right? Some of the smartest macro minds I know are like people Absolutely. have got to get off zero on gold too. And I think there's some amount of uh rationality to it. Like I can, I was actually going back and looking for Jur- Jurian Timmerer, uh, who is um at Fidelity, uh, basically shaped my whole view on this with, with two charts. Um now now this this one chart that uh that we're looking at here is gold as a monetary hedge. Um and the other chart, if I could find it, which I unfortunately can't, is a uh, he, he charts going back to like you know 1780 or something like that. The return of various asset classes. So he's got yield bearing cash, cash, uh, bonds, equities, uh, gold, and what it shows you is like equity outperforms. Yeah, equity way outperforms everything else. But then like yield bearing cash and debt is like below, and then gold actually underperforms. And so. Taking these two things together, and sorry, this chart, by the way, for folks who are not following along via video, shows you the growth of money supply and then the what what gold plus Bitcoin do. And it doesn't go up in this one, it doesn't go up in a, um, in a straight line. It goes up in these, you know, these crazy, these, these spikes, right? And and this tends to correlate with, look at it, inflation. Uh so it goes up in the 1940s, goes up in the 80s, and it's been trending up, trending back up again. And so taking these two things together. What it tells me, and people are going to hate this because the, the HODL meme, this looks more like a trade to me than a, than a long-term HODL till I die. And uh, not, not that it might not play out like that, but like, and that kind of foots with this like growing conviction that I'm starting to have of these, especially layer ones like Ethereum, Bitcoin, Solana as commodities. And uh, really what a lot of these, these investors I think are waiting for are businesses that have equity-like returns that compound. Um, And, and we haven't really seen a lot of that yet. And and actually, this should be taken as like an extreme positive because I remain extremely optimistic about the, the businesses that you can build on these substrates, these new tech platform substrates. And I think that actually, so some amount of new capital is going to be unlocked by, frankly, just the price of Bitcoin going up. It's lendiness, it's more liquid, so larger funds can buy it. But I also think we have to we have to build apps and things that people want, uh, and that will unlock a whole new set of investors as well. Sorry for the monologue there, but that's, no, no, um, look,
1: at, it's yeah. it's hundred uh, percent. The only thing about this this chart that I, I do think is is kind of funny um, is the only reason stocks look like they go up is because of what gold does. Mm. We're pricing those stocks in the toilet paper. <laughs> I, and you know what? Which went from a $1 dollar in 1913. Okay. So from 1776 to 1913, a $1, dollar, which remember we took from the, the Dutch, the Reichsdollar, because um, they invented the first central bank. And, you know, so the dollar. Was 1776 to 1913 worth a dollar? It Had two fluctuations around the wars when, you know, we made other things like Confederate dollars and all that. But, but, but the bottom line is the dollar is worth a dollar. 1913 to today, it's lost 97 plus percent of its purchasing power. So when you price equities in dollars, they look like they go up. If you priced the S and P in gold not so much. So that's the dirty little secret. In fact, uh stocks and I, I'm I, this is just a short period of time. Stocks today priced in gold are the exact same price they were in 1997. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you get, take it all the way back to when they uh when gold was like 30 bucks and they they fixed it, it it's it's worse. And so what what happens is this Devaluation of the currency creates money illusion. You feel like you're richer. Your house goes up and your stocks go up, but remember that only applies to the people at the tippy top and the all-seeing eye. The people at the bottom don't own stocks. They don't own houses. They have a fixed income in terms of minimum wage jobs, and and literally they they subsist on government handouts. Uh um, what's her name? Uh, Lizanne. Is it Lizanne? Saunders. No, no. Liz Ann Saunders. I think, I think it's Liz. Uh, I'll get it. Yep. Um, um, but she's from, uh, Schwab. Liz she
0: Ann had Saunders. a great
1: chart this morning that, uh, showed that the percent of personal income from government subsidies is back down to pre COVID levels. So we had that massive spike where it was, Oh, everybody's income went up. I'm like, Are you joking? They, they sent you, they sent you money. That's not income. That That's a, that's a windfall. That's not income. That's not coming again. And it had this big spike up and it's just been deterred and it's now back to below where it was. There you go. And the, um, that, that is, there's a whole bunch of people, um, like out in Coeta, Oklahoma, where I just was every, every, uh, mini mart or, a convenience store you go by has a big giant sign, you know, we take EBT, you know, the, the electronic cards, the food stamps cards. And one of my, my favorite stats, but it's also one of the saddest stats. Do you know when uh, the largest percentage of Walmart sales occur?
0: Mm. No,
1: actually it just happened uh, about, uh, eight hours ago from 12 midnight to one o'clock on the first day of the month, they get 10% of their revenue for the month. Oh man. Because people get their card reloaded at midnight on the 30th or 31st and they go shopping and they're there. And as soon as that card gets reloaded, because they ran out of money halfway through the month and they, they load up the car with baby formula and diapers and food and they check out, and they get ten percent of all of their revenue. That's a scary stat. that That it one, is. that one, that one hurt me the first time
0: I heard it. It was just, that's just I was going to say that 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 I, yeah, that kind of bums me out.
1: That's but 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 that said, back to, to to the good stuff. When you have a a currency, a fiat currency. That can be devalued, as we've seen all over the world. Um, you can protect yourself, and you don't have to have all of your money. That's that's the cool part. You don't you don't have to totally get out of the fiat world. I mean, someday maybe we'll get there. You know, I was just I was just at this cool event, so I was at the future of Bitcoin mining event in in South Carolina, and Jack Dorsey was there. And um now why would Jack Dorsey come to middle of nowhere, South Carolina? Because we were literally in the middle of nowhere. It's this really, really cool thing, uh, firm called Barefoot Mining. And they found that there are 450 odd sites around the country that during the New Deal, right? Um, when they put people to work because they got laid off during the depression, they built these these dams uh, across a bunch of rivers. And they're not like the big Hoover type dam. They're these really cool little dams. And then they, the industrious uh, textile mills and and uh, anyone who need electricity created these little chutes and collected the water and made electricity. So this thing's been abandoned for a hundred years and they bought the property and they got the stuff to work. It's like the original 1800s and 1900s uh, machinery, and they put a big new generator on it, and they are getting free electricity to mine Bitcoin. And Jack Dorsey was out. Uh, he had invested in this uh, company that Luke Dash, one of the core developers, uh, is is putting together to to create a a new mining pool to keep decentralization strong. But what was, what was interesting to me about that is uh, one, you know, we are like I said, middle of nowhere, South Carolina, and there's this new age, you know, uh, business that's happening using old, you know, age uh, machinery. And it's, it's a recognition that, you know, this stuff is one here to stay Two, that. There are really interesting ways to integrate it into, into what we do every day. Um, Yeah. I I totally forgot where I really went down with with that story. But anyway,
0: I have a, uh, a Bitcoin mining. So one thing I've actually been doing just a super nerdy thing to do, but I've been going back and listening to these old epicenter uh, podcasts that, that took place when the the Bitcoin block size wars were happening. Epicenters are, very Probably the oldest uh, longstanding crypto podcast it goes back to 2014. You should go back and listen to it. It's super interesting. I actually listened to a podcast from 2014. A big institutional conference in London was happening. There was a, the moderator was Coindesk and they introduced themselves as, you might've heard of us. You know, we're a little upstart called Coindesk. It's <laughs> so funny. And That's that, so funny. You know, the, their topics were, they, they he outlined like the big themes that everyone's talking about. The three that I can remember are, everyone's too focused on price. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? Uh, uh, a Bitcoin mining ban has been reversed in China. Super yep. funny, and yep. uh, US regulators, US regulators, are starting to look more at crypto. So you could literally superimpose all three of those things uh, on today and have it not be not skip a beat. And you uh, just
1: have that be the, the the topics for DAS. I mean, yeah, yeah,
0: right there. That actually all relatively applies. So it's ten just years funny. later. Uh, but you know, you can go back to these uh these Bitcoin block size wars and listen to the debates that people were having at the time. And uh I, I would just encourage people to do it because I think history has repainted it a little bit as like, you know, a, a clearly good and a clearly evil side as opposed to the way that at least I like to look at human conflict, which is uh sort of struggle for control, competing visions between different stakeholders. Um, and anyway, there's a lot of interesting nuance there. But I, uh, I actually wrote a newsletter about uh, Bitcoin mining and the the value chain of Bitcoin mining and how it reminds me of the value chain of uh, steel. Because I, I used to, yeah. in my past life, I was a as, as a consultant that worked uh, in this, at this little shop that specialized in helping people procure steel. And I had to once a quarter work on this thing called the Steel Report, which is this thing that we used to gin up business. We'd send it out to people like, hey, here's what like steel is doing. I hated it because... It would all like I had to do it on top of my own work. Everyone else was doing it on top of their work. So it'd be like 4 a.m. nights where it's like, where would you find the price of this? And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is terrible. But uh, yeah. I did learn a lot. And I learned a lot about how commodities uh, behave um, and determine price across uh, value chains. And I, I thought that there are three raw material inputs for steel, iron ore, coking coal, and steel. Because when you uh, cut steel up in these uh, things called service centers, you actually, that's called scrap. Uh, and then that gets all uh, boiled together and melted down and reused in steel. So, steel is an input cost for steel that trades on kind of the second correlated secondary market. And uh, I used to think that uh, the price of steel would be determined by iron ore or coking coal going up. Because yep. as the price of raw materials go up, the price of the end product has to go up. And that's how it behaves half the time. But half the time, I would see these headlines that was like iron ore up on the back of, raw s- of, of steel prices going up. And I thought to myself, how does that make sense? How, why that is reversing the causal error of how I think prices are supposed to work. Like why why is steel leading the price action here? And what I figured out after like a year of putting this report together was that there are separate markets for raw, the raw materials, iron ore and coking coal and steel. Steel sometimes will supply, you know, respond to its own price, uh, supply and demand dynamics. When that happened, the steel producers started to make a ton of margin the other guys in the value chain understood that the steel guys were making the margin and they would raise their own prices. And it would be this like game of hot potato for margin in between this value chain. And I think that's what happens in Bitcoin too. And the, the analogy would be mostly what drives Bitcoin is the, the supply and demand of something like Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin block space really is the commodity. But but there's this, there's this very complicated value chain of uh, raw material input cost of miners and uh, electricity and if you look at mining, uh, the cost of the revenue of miners in a funny enough way that actually sort of sets a, the price of Bitcoin kind of sets a floor. There's a floor in between uh, the mining, mining revenue and the price of Bitcoin. Absolutely.
1: And it, and it gets, and it gets crazier because of the, the way it was coded to, to
0: have the rewards. Right. And, you know, it's, that's it's awesome. It is, Oh, it's, I, I'm such a fan of Bitcoin. It's just such a yeah, wild. But, being, well, and the uh, thing is, you got
1: big B Bitcoin and little B Bitcoin, right? So there's Bitcoin, the commodity, and and it is a commodity, It's digital gold, the the you know the the unit. But then there's there's the you know the network, and the network is becoming increasingly valuable with things like ordinals and and other things, Tapper and, Wizards. and like,
0: the block space, Wizards, baby.
1: Yeah, and and so when you think about I, I said this and uh, I don't know if I said it on, on this show or somewhere. No, I was, I was at a conference and, um, you know, I said, and people are all mad and, and, you know, the, the maxis love it and everyone else is like, bullshit, bullshit. And, uh, I'm like, look, I, I believe it's possible that Bitcoin is the global settlement layer for all assets. It's certainly possible. And I'm like, no, it's, it's ETH. ETH has more activity. I'm like, no, no, no. The activity of trading the token is not not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about final settlement of where you want. Where, where do you want the ownership record of your home or your car or your business? I think you want it on the safest, most secure, biggest network. I, You know, again, if we're if we're going decentralized, instead of centralized. If, if you think about where, where do you want your valuables? In the old days, you put them in the safe deposit box at the bank. Why? Because the bank was a big fancy building made with marble columns and, and thick cement walls and it was safe. At least you thought it was safe. And we all have seen the movies of the bank robbers and they, you know, t- tunnel in or, you know, they weren't as safe as we thought. So then what do we do? Well, then we said, all right, well, we can protect it by going away from analog stuff. We won't put our analog stuff. We'll 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 electronify stuff and, and we'll store them in trusted institutions. Banks, brokerages, et cetera. And that's been pretty good. But I have 106 messages on my uh password thing, the new update. Now they'll Apple will scan all the data breaches and and tell you when your passwords have been exposed to a data breach. I have 106. The fact that I even have 106 passwords and I actually have more than 106, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Like, when are we going to get real tech to replace that? Somebody please send me the business plan for that. I will fund you, please. It's the dumbest thing. Passwords, dumb. Anyway, so... The this idea that um the network itself is going to be an increasingly valuable place because it is so decentralized and so secure. I
0: I'm I'm so bullish. I I mean it's crazy. Mm. I again I I'm with you, but the I I know I'm with you. I'm with you ish because the, here's. The, so, you know where the most, I got to actually double check this, but at least, okay, where, where stable coins, right? Killer use case, hundred some billion dollar, uh, I could actually check this, hundred some billion dollars worth of um, uh, market cap that exists today, extremely high velocity, yada, yada. You know where most of that settles down to? Tron. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just like, I, I'm with you and I hear you, but I, but I, but I, I don't know. And look, and,
1: and, and, and that's, that's it's actually very logical, right? Because in the early days of, of a business, what do you optimize for? Speed and cost. Ultimately, after you have that first loss, you optimize for safety, right? How many businesses have you thought, have you seen, right? That got going and then there's a big problem, right? Their warehouse gets, you know, raided or, or, you know, their trucks get intercepted. It's, it's kind of like, I I remember how many years ago did Bezos show, you know, we had a big announcement, he's like, drone delivery. You ever got anything delivered by drone to your house? No, because it turns out if there was a bunch of drones flying around, some bad guys would Shoot them down, and so they got to figure that part out. And then you got a FAA problem. So there's there's a lot
0: of good yeah, ideas. That's a really good point. That's a really good you know? point. Um, anyway. the, one thing the the reason I, I and then I want to bring it back here uh, to to the um, the spot ETF and, and some of the action that's going on on CME. One one something I've noticed about this industry is it is very cyclical. I, that's not a unique observation, but uh, the 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 talent that tends to migrate into crypto is tech. It's people with a tech background, for obvious reasons. But the way tech has behaved, at least for the last twenty some years in the U.S., is you know blips, but mostly a one-way street up. And what that has meant is the strategies. First of all, people have only known sort of these up markets, and the strategy for tech is because a you they're not high capex businesses, not not high fixed cost. um, and there's zero incremental uh, cost of producing something new and because of this up only dynamic the idea is raise as much money as you can spend whatever you need to spend on the engineers the valuations will be nuts and that's your strategy and that's how you're that's the game that you're playing uh, is to get this like in, in early momentum but that's not the game you're playing in crypto it, it's a different game because the industry has these crazy boom busts and if you like lever yourself operationally lever yourself up you are going to eat it the next yeah. cycle. Yeah, and it's yeah. a totally different mentality. And the industry is really split in terms of they have these debates and they're highly relevant, not just for like investors who want to speculate on price, but for people who are trying to operate a business. We're having a big inter- internal debate. When we forecast revenue out, do we build in market cycles or not? And, and it's been an, actually a massive problem for us in the past because we have done what most people do. We linearly extrapolate the revenue. So if it's going up like this, then we're going to say, okay, well, we'll probably continue that trend roughly, but it doesn't <laughs> behave like that, yeah. and so it's always yeah. wildly wrong. The and sp- so then yeah. it's like, well, do you just accept that it's going to be wrong, or do you try to build in the market impact? But then the market impact—you're basically trying to guess at the market impact. So how do you do that?
1: Yeah. Um, now, what what's really yeah, tough? Good point. What what everybody does is up and to the right. Every spreadsheet you've ever seen, every pitch book I've ever gotten, uh. Always up and to the right, and how much to the right is just how bad you are at Excel, right? The people who are good at Excel realize that the discount rate is wrong, so they adjust it, or they change their growth rate. But the people who are bad at Excel; they just plug in a formula. Like, oh, look how much money we're gonna make! And it's like, oh, please. Okay, Cyclicality, uh, competition, because you know it's history's written by the winners. We are students of history, and it's fun because you're reading the good stuff. But it's not written by the losers. And so, yes, tech looks like it's up only. Oh, au contraire. There are lots <laughs> and lots. All of right. All right. That's good. Dead That's bodies good. along. With, and I'm not just disagree- I mean, your point is actually right. But it's it's the component of success. Like for every Apple that started a garage, right? 99 other failed. And there are, there are companies that start off and they look like they have an edge and then someone out competes them and they, and they literally, they, just, but they fade away. Like there's come a of digital Island. You ever heard of digital Island? No one's ever heard of it. It was a, couple, we made a ton of money off this thing. They basically created a data center in Hawaii because it could optimize moving network traffic because of the, you know, the undersea cables. And, and, and it, it, it took the, the low, like the, um, the speed would decline the longer the cable. So then they would boost it so it could get faster. And it was an interesting idea. And then Sienna came along and expanded the capacity of fiber optic cables using light and they went to zero and no one's ever heard. Or there was Puma technology, which was some printing software that was going to make out of the printing. You big, gone, gone. So um, the ones that win, definitely up only. But along the way, there are these dead bodies. And what I think is interesting to your point on, on the application layer. So in the internet, all of the wealth is in the application layer. You can't own TCPIP. You can't own HTTPS. You can't own SMTP. Just none of it is at the protocol layer. The companies that built those protocols, most of them government agencies, but there were some private companies that tried to commercialize the tech. Nope. All the app, all of the, the value in the application layer. So far in web three or third generation internet, whatever you want to call it, 85 ish percent of the value is in the protocols because you can actually own them. But people say, well, but am I really owning them or am I just trading shit coins? Well, yeah a bunch of them are utility tokens and not you don't really own anything okay but there are some real ownership and i would put you know bitcoin and and ethereum and solana and a handful of others into that category by the way solana you know i am yeah. taking full credit for the pump again that since i changed my mind on solana it's up 6x i mean it's it's crazy
0: i mean it's 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 up a lot um, look at the look at the nfts on solana those things are doing Doing yeah. numbers, and but, uh, um, there's a community, baby. There's a community it, presence. Well, there.
1: There's a community, and there's a, a supply-demand imbalance. But but the, anyway, it's it's doing great, and um, but builders are actually building stuff, and so if I think yes, they'll be classified as commodities. I think the the good ones, um, but at the end of the day, I think Bitcoin is is the true commodity, like gold. Gold is both a commodity and a currency. It has its commodity uses and it has its money uses. It's the base layer of all money, right? Every central bank owns it. They build the money on top of it with debt. Great. I think Bitcoin replaces that. And Hal Finney actually said that, which is amazing. He said it um, nine years ago. Crazy. He actually said this is going to happen because it has lighter weight and greater anonymity than gold. And so that is the true commodity layer. I think Ethereum, Solana, maybe a few others become more application layer. And, and then, then they got to be integrated with other real applications like L2s, L3s, L4s. Um, and that business uh, starts to accrete more value. So right now it's really Coinbase and a few others yeah. that that captured value in addition to the protocol value. But the app layer hasn't even happened. Why? Because we're one month away. One month away from the beginning. This is the cool part. The story of the Bitcoin era, the block, I'm sorry, not that the Bitcoin, the blockchain era, starts January 1st, 2024. 58 and 54, 68, 82, 96, 2010, 2024. The 14-year cycle starts. January 1st. And then we run four years where it's awesome. And then we have a bust. And that bust kills off a whole bunch of also Rans, right? It kills off the pets.com and it kills off the web vans to then be rebirthed for the next leg up, which is the killer leg up. Okay. And that's
0: when the fun starts. So we so you we're think four good. years? We're going to get four years of bull market here uh, starting in 24? Well, fire me up. <laughs> I mean,
1: not 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 full cuz cuz there'll still be the four-year cycle that's different than the 14-year cycle, so that that's built in. So we it all depends, Michael, how how bad the next bear market, which will happen, you know, kind of June of 25-ish. Kind of June to to November of twenty five, maybe it, maybe it moves to November of twenty five, but how bad that one is is dependent on how crazy the parabolic move above fair value. So fair value is going to go from fifty to hundred with the having. Do we go to one fifty? Do we go to two you know, hundred? I was with Max and Stacy. We're at this uh, event in South Carolina. And you know, Max is back saying, you know, two twenties in play again, two twenties in play. I'm like, stop, stop saying that. You said it last time. And, and I look, Max, <laughs> this, this funny. So there's this guy, Tobias, who's created the, the Bitcoin mining museum. And he's, he's got, he's got the original jalapeno that Adam back used. I mean, he's got some amazing. And I tweeted this out. There were USB miners that were getting 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. An S19 today has 1 million times more power than that little UBS, USB miner. And it gets 6.25 in 10 minutes. I mean, the mine's just blown, but, but he bought, he has this McLaren shoe and he's having all the, the Bitcoiners sign it. And you got Adam back to sign it. And he, he got Jack to sign it. And Max signed it on the tongue, which is hilarious. Because Max is he is our tongue, right? He is he is our spokesmodel and our high priest. But I I if we go to that crazy two hundred level, then the bear market will be bad, right? Because if you get so far above fair value, then it's got to got to drop. But I don't I don't think there's going to be as much leverage this time. I really don't. So I don't think we're going to go as crazy, and so I think the cycle will be more upish. Less downish, and then more upish. I, and so- I
0: have a I have a lot of thoughts. I've got a prediction for you, which is I I think I think we're gonna get the same amount of leverage, and I actually think this is how I this is because you I can it's not in Bitcoin, but I can see a structure that's starting to form that would encourage some amount of leverage, which is. Uh, which humans is are actually human back to our first statement today. Humans are going to human. Humans are going to human. There's, um, there, so if you look under the hood at a lot of, uh, protocols in DeFi, they look really similar. Actually, they look really similar to sort of like a bank. Like if you look at a bank, it's, uh, you got balance sheet liabilities in the form of customer deposits and there's a little surplus of equity. And then there's assets, liquid treasuries, loans yep. that the bank makes out, et cetera. All right, let's look at a protocol like, sorry, now I know we're getting into the weeds here, but something like Lido, right? You have uh, callable deposits in the form of steth. That's what, uh, you know, Lido, the protocol issues to you. Um, and then there's a little bit of an insurance fund. And on the asset side of their balance sheet, they run a bunch of validators that earn yield, which then they then pay out. Okay, right? Similar, similar sort of luck. Now you're, there are like, there's a new layer two that just got launched on Ethereum called Blast. Okay, what is Blast? They launch as a multi sig, which is basically just a way to take funds. And what they're doing when 640 million, which is the amount of money that is funneled into this little multi sig, which is run by a 24 year old, uh, who's running two companies. <laughs> um, and it, what he's, what they're doing is they're routing that those funds to Maker, which they're earning yield on treasuries and they're routing it to, uh, they're routing it to Lido and they're earning Steve yield, but that basically looks. Right. Like, uh, that looks like the same structure actually is like a, as like a Celsius or something like, and now it doesn't need to play out the same way, but my worry is that people are going to be like, see, now we don't need to worry. We're we're not doing these centralized opaque exchanges. It's on chain. Don't worry about it. We can see it's like, yeah, but like a hundred people realistically know how to check the chain. You know, the the, the amount of people that can actually read the code is so low that eventually all of this is right. And being on chain is going to be that that's going to be the default. Um, all right, so one one quick quick, because I know we got to run here. We're going way over, but uh, th- what this this uh this thread that I that I surfaced that Josh Lim uh, wrote, basically he's saying that you know the premiums that are running up on CME imply that this could be a profit taking or de-risking event, you know, in advance of the official ETF. And I think what a lot of people are actually asking themselves are, is this ETF, if we were to get it, a buy the rumor, sell the news type event? Nope. Nope.
1: Dan Moorhead. Put up, put out the paper, buy, buy the rumor, buy the news. Um, no, wait, wait, wait. The money has not even started to come. It's different, right? It's different than the the futures ETF, which that was buy the rumor, sell the news, because futures, they can get naked short on the other side, which is why they approved the futures ETF in the first place. So the banks could go naked short and push the price down so they could accumulate at a lower price. Huh, that's been going on for years. This is real. Like, this, In this world, you don't get to make paper shares. You got to buy the Bitcoin. And so the amount of Bitcoin that's going to get bought as the money starts to flow into this and go back and look at what happened with GBTC. When GBTC started to take money in, we went from 10 grand to 60 grand in like 11 and a half seconds. And it wasn't 11 and a half seconds, but it was pretty, just go back and look at that first run up. Uh, and then Elon did his tweet and we went down in 50%. We went down 50% on a freaking tweet. And then we went all the way back to 69 because it was stupid, because fair value was 30 and we got to, you know, two times, two plus times fair value. And then we had the bear market. So is this going to run, you know, from, from 30 to 180? Might, in fact, might run more because the amount of money that's going to go into the CTF. Big, really big. I mean, it's just big. It's just big. And 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 there's no other place it can go but spot Bitcoin. There's it, it can't buy anything else. It has to buy the actual coins. Right. And that's different. And the problem is there aren't that many to buy. Because you got the lost or stolen, you got the lock. Right. Where there's a multi sig problem or you got the, you got the hodlers. Now I, I'm, say, I'll never sell. There's a price. There's a price for everything. And that's the way markets work. Right. we sell, why won't sell? Would you sell at a hundred? No. Would you sell at 200? No. Would You sell at 500? Maybe. Mm, maybe I, mean, I sell a little bit. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's the, the funny story. And I'll leave you with this funny story. So. I, you know, at Chapel Hill, there's a, a fancy street called Franklin Street in the middle of town, separates the university and the town. And there are these nice homes along the way. And they're, they're old, but they're nice. And back in the day, this 20 years ago, um, there's this very wealthy guy, uh, C.D. Spangler, who, who came into town and he walked up to this guy's house. He had a historic district house. He said, I want your house. And the guy's trimming his hedges, literally out trimming his hedges. He says, well, it's not for sale. As well, sir, everything's for sale. What? What's your price? And at the time, the house was like 300 grand or something. He says, I don't know, million dollars. Whips out his checkbook, writes the check for a million dollars, hands to him, says, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll send my people to, to close. It's like, what did, no, you said a million dollars. So, and he had to, and he didn't have to, but he did sell the house. He's like, a million dollars? You're really going to give me a million dollars for this house? But now that house is three point eight million dollars. But anyway, um, because that's the house didn't get better, the money got worse.
0: True, true. So, All right. Well, uh, in closing, I'm I'm actually just looking at someone. I I don't know. I want to give a shout out to to Peter, uh, who Mark, you and I on the margin were his uh, most listened to podcast. People are posting their Spotify Wrapped. He's a top three percent listener. So shout out and. Mark and I appreciate so much you guys spending your mornings with us on Saturday. If, if, uh, tweet it out. We'll, we'll retweet you, comment, uh, all that stuff. And uh, we'd love to see um, listeners of the show. So uh, we we can close with that. Mark, best hour of my week. Uh, This was a good one. So
1: Always. Two weeks in one. Good to see you, man.
0: Cheers.